Elise Brown, welcome to the podcast. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks, Bill. Good. Good to, good to talk to you. You and I, we know each other. I consider you a friend. Uh, we haven't hung out a whole ton, but uh, but uh, the few times that we've hung out, you've been a lot of fun and, and really have enjoyed that time. Um, on today's podcast, this podcast, uh, Elise, is really designed to kind of be outside of any specific faith system. And it's really just a chance for me to kind of talk about the world at large and how we humans behave and um, trying to get at things that we can learn to help us kind of be better humans. And one of the things that always kind of happens to us in this, in this space of humanity is that the more exposure we have to other people and their diverse experiences from ours, it expands our opportunity to see the world in different ways. And it was about a week, maybe a week and a half ago or so that you put a, a post out on social media where you talked about finding Jesus again. And yeah. um, that's interesting to me because I kind of know a little bit about your journey. And it, whenever I see this kind of thing happen, and it's not the first time, when I see this kind of thing happen, it deeply interests me what what gets somebody who I consider as smart or smarter than me to be on a different journey than me and how they come to conclusions different than me. And so I reached out to you and kind of initiated that conversation and wanted to give you a chance today to kind of tell that story, which I think is fascinating. I think this is the a great platform to have that conversation. So let's start off first. If you just want to maybe give the listeners whatever kind of brief bio you want to give about you. And then let's jump into kind of that, I guess these kind of three segments here where we're segment one, we're going to talk about kind of your time in religion and then your time out of religion. And now, and then you're, you're essentially moving back into finding value and, um, serious spirituality in in jesus again so let me start there what uh, tell us a little bit about yourself sure so i'm elise um i grew up mostly in utah and in utah county in a very small town called salem and my family was incredibly into the church um and i guess that's moving into part one of our thing to talk about my experiences in the church you're, when you say church, you're talking the Mormon church. Yes, the LDS church. Right. So that so the yes. LDS the specific LDS faction of Mormonism is the religion that you kind of grew up in. Okay, by, by all means, continue. So um, I'm just gonna jump right into my experiences in the LDS church. Um, woo. So when I was about 13, I just fully jumped in to the church. I was listening to like EFY music. I stopped listening to anything else that you couldn't buy at Deseret Book, you know? And so you've got your Sherry Call and Jericho Road. And some people are familiar with those, but uh, I went so heavy into it. It was all about obeying God and making sure that he didn't tie a millstone around my neck and throw me in the bottom of the ocean. And the way that I felt like I had control over that was to obey every commandment that I possibly could. And so I just became this perfectionist as far as the LDS church goes and just following all of their rules. And um, in my mind, it, it made so much sense. I was like, if God talks to the prophet and the prophet talks to us, 
then we have to do what that says 100% or we're just obeying God. And um, a lot of Mormons are actually like really cool people and they're the ones that like pick and choose the doctrine. But for me, I was the asshole that like followed all the rules and like became obsessive about it and judged other people. Um, so that was my experience in the LDS church. Gotcha. And, and I want to say, you know, a lot of the listeners are folks who have followed me via my Mormon journey. And so most of the listeners are Mormon, but there also is a segment of people who follow this podcast who are not. And I think it needs to be said that when you compare Mormonism, which I think you and I would both agree is a deeply high demand fundamentalist religion. I think that word cult is thrown around and I think it, whether it fits or doesn't, it certainly is worthy of at least talking about that, right? Like it, it is this thing that demands a lot of its membership and does so in very unhealthy ways. And uh, Mormonism is very legalistic in terms of it has all these rules and boundaries. You can't drink coffee. You can't drink tea. You can't touch yourself as a pubescent teenager, right? Like there's all these rules that, that go into whether you are a good person or whether you're bad and very little of them have to do with your actual goodness and how you move through the world. And instead, whether you follow these, these, this platform of rules and, and boundaries. Yeah, exactly. I remember being in young women's one week. It's just the girls group at church. And uh, the lesson was on the first law of heaven is obedience. And that's, that's to me, what the focus of the church is. It's not love, it's obedience. And I think because of that, it, it is cult or cult-like. Yeah, yeah. So let's, um, let's dive into the idea of Jesus in this first kind of phase or this first segment of talking about your time in organized religion on the front half. Um, who, who was Jesus? What did, who, how did he operate in your life? How important was he? Um, maybe some of those kinds of ideas. Jesus provided this really beautiful feeling to me whenever I thought of him. But in the LDS church, like, like I said, I was focused on God and the commandments and obedience. And so to me, at least in my understanding, when I was growing up, Jesus was sort of a side thought. Like he was like this sacrifice that God made for us. But that's kind of all he was, was like, well, he came so that I could kill him and then forgive you guys for your sins if you work hard enough and obey all the rules. Um, and so I did have this love for Jesus, but it was very, it was, I don't feel like I really had any kind of relationship with him because, because the relationship was with God and the church. And he was like, not quite as elusive as Heavenly Mother, but you know, kind of like <laughs> just this side thing. Yeah. And again, just maybe inserting some of my own experience, it, it seems as though we were not really encouraged to really dive into Jesus and who he was. And you already have this lens on of Mormonism. And so everything you read and see comes through that lens. And then, and then follow that up with the church very selectively chooses its curriculum. It picks which verses are going to make up the the Sunday school classes. It has a reading schedule that it encourages you to stick with. And anytime that it asks 
us to read the scriptures. It was almost in this challenge of doing it in so many days or in such a short time period that you, you feel some sense of rush to do it. And you really never capture mm-hmm. the Jesus of the New Testament, except only as he fits in Mormonism. Um, any thoughts there? Is that as I kind of shared that? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a really good reason why they don't focus on Jesus, and that's that Jesus was 100% about grace. It was not about the things that you do. He didn't give a shit about that. (laughs) You know, the real Jesus goes, hey, I came to provide grace for you. You can have it for free. You can have it at the beginning of the day. You can have it at the end of the day. You remember that parable where he's like, it's the workers in the field. And he's like, if you come at the last hour, I don't care. Whatever, you can have it. And so I think I have a friend who actually left the LDS church because she read the New Testament. And as I'm going back through and reading it again, it feels like it's for the first time. Every few chapters I go, do Mormons even read this? Like, how can they possibly read this and still believe in the Jesus that they believe in, still believe that, like, it requires works, you know, in order to get into heaven? And um, anyway, like, there's this scripture where Jesus says, the Pharisees come to him and they're like, okay, so this lady was married to this brother, he died, so she married the next brother, he died, you know, and so on who will she be married to in heaven? And Jesus is essentially like, what the hell are you talking about? There's no marriage in heaven. Like, also, God is the God of this world. Like, this is what matters, is life now, not the afterlife. And that's definitely not the message that you get in the LDS church. Right, right. So you get to a point, like, again, I know parts of your story, you get to a point where you begin to sense that Mormonism isn't adding up and you begin deconstructing and in deconstruction, you, you know, maybe talk for a moment about your discarding of Mormonism. And essentially I would also like you to kind of tell us the journey in the religion at large, uh, not necessarily Mormonism, but Christianity or even just uh, monotheism or um, theism of some sort, like, like where do you, what kind of things are you thinking about as you're deconstructing Mormonism? What kind of things are you thinking about as you're deconstructing religion generally? Um, what role is Jesus playing in that deconstruction? And before we get into any kind of renewed belief in anything, let's talk at length about what you discarded, why you discarded it, what kind of things were you reading or thinking about, what kind of questions were you wrestling with in your mind? so that people can get a feel for that deconstruction process. Yeah. Okay, so I learned about Kate Kelly, and I started watching her. She was a leader among some women in the in the LDS church, and she had some really great questions about why women don't have the priesthood and why there's this sexism, you know, like the separation and... Um, She got me thinking. I wasn't one of her followers, um, and I always said, you know, I want women to have the priestesshood, not the priesthood, (laughs) because I feel like if they're different, anyway, they should have their own special thing. But the point was that I followed her for a while, and, you know, I wore my pants to church, and everyone was like, you're weird. Um, And 
And in Mormonism, so, if you wear pants as a female, you are weird, right? Like that's the label yeah. that gets applied. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, what frustrated me about that whole situation was that the LDS church, the leaders just full on ignored her, you know, they were just like cold shouldering and she had legitimate questions based in history, based in things Joseph Smith said and did. She had legit questions and they just like gave her the middle finger. And, um, that struck me as pretty weird. And I already had a lot of frustrations with, um, gender inequality in the church, in the temple, the women have to, well, they don't do this anymore. They changed this. Um, which my mom was like, so excited to call me and tell me that. And I was like, well, good. They're like slightly less sexist, but, um, they were having the women promise to like follow their husbands as their husbands follow God. And it just seemed like there were so many like things in between me and God in the LDS church. I had to go through my bishop. I had to go through the home teachers. I had to go through my husband to get to God. And that started to weigh on me. And, and then the, the kicker was I, uh, I was thinking about heavenly mother and in the LDS church, they believe that, that God is married to heavenly mother. And, um, while we do have this mother, we're not allowed to talk to her. We really shouldn't talk about her. We don't know her name because she's too like fragile and special for us to know her name because then we'll like misuse it and then she'll feel bad. And so my view of this heavenly mother was that she was like weak, fragile, like really unimportant. If she was important, we would communicate with her, but she's just kind of like this side thing over there. Yeah, you know? she can't stand up for herself. Heavenly Father has to take care of project protecting her fragility, um, and uh, she's kind of just off in the corner somewhere hiding. Yeah, and so, um, so in the LDS Church, they believe gender is eternal, right? So there are men and there are women, and they're both headed on their own paths, essentially. And for men, they've got like this path of the priesthood and it's leading them to becoming like God. Well, if there's a heavenly mother and as a woman, like I need to end up becoming like her, but I'm not allowed to know anything about her. I have no model. I have nothing to look to, you know, to become like. And really what I'm looking to is, oh, I'm just going to disappear. Like my ultimate you know, salvation or whatever, like my goddesshood is to become fragile and to just disappear behind my husband. And that's, that's the model that I was given, you know? And so, um, and you know, for a long time, there was this popular song in the LDS church. It's not a hymn, but it's called a window to his love. Do you remember that though? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And essentially the message is, and it's always sung by a woman. Essentially, the message is, I want to become like a window, like so see-through. They're like, I just entirely disappear, and all you see is God. And I think that's a perfect example of how Heavenly Mother is and like what women have to look forward to in the church. It's like, you're just supposed to become quiet and in the background and just kind of disappear and like let your husband or God, you know, be seen. 
And so, so feminine, I wrote. Oh, I was just going to say feminism. I was going to say feminism is seems like obviously it's this gateway into you thinking about the problem at large, which is whether Mormonism has truth or doesn't. Um, where does it go from there? So I um, wrote President Monson, the prophet, uh, at the time, a letter and just said, these are my concerns. You're the prophet. You speak to God. Could you possibly just ask him about Heavenly Mother? Like, I would like a model. And his secretary wrote me back. She sent me a, um, a talk from the previous prophet uh, from Hinckley. And it had to do with women, but it didn't answer my question in any way, shape, or form. And that was kind of it for me. Well, that in conjunction with they uh, excommunicated John DeLynn at that time, and I didn't know who he was. So I looked into Mormon stories and, you know, went down that rabbit hole, read the CES letter, and then I was like, whoa, okay. First of all, this religion has been making me miserable. I have no model to look to, and and now I know that it's not true. So it was very easy for me to decide, you know, to just leave it. And I went on a walk, and I was sitting on some stairs, and I was trying to get the courage up to take off my garments. Because <laughs> they teach you all these stories about how garments, like, save your life from fires and shit. And so... um I was sitting there and I felt like God said to me, like, I, I don't care. I could not care less about your underwear. I could not care less what you wear. And, uh, anyway, that's when I, I took them off. I was scared I was going to get hit by a bus, but I wasn't, I didn't get hit by a bus, which was good. Or struck by lightning. Um, do you, do you begin at this point too, then? I mean, <sighs> So you step away from Mormonism and I've got to believe you're also maybe thinking about these kinds of truth, whether truth is available out there in Christianity at large or maybe religions at large. Like I know that I know, I know you well enough to know that you're curious and you're inquisitive and that like all of us on this journey of leaving a high demand fundamentalist religion, we start to doubt everything and we start to deconstruct all kinds of things and challenge our ideas around everything, including our own behaviors and, and perspectives on life. Is some of that happening with you as well? Yes, that's exactly right. So I threw out everything. You know, at first I kept God for just a second, like for a couple of months, I was like, well, maybe God is real. And then, no, I just threw out everything. I became an atheist. I really got into science, which was so fun because I felt really restricted from science in the LDS church. And so it was just a blast to get into science and um, enjoy that for a while. And that's the direction that I went. Um, and then, like you said, you know, you leave this high demand religion that tells you everything. It tells you who you are. It gives you your identity. It tells you what you're going to do in life. You know, you're going to go on a mission, you're going to get married in the temple, then you're going to have, then you're going to go on another mission, you know, like it, it lines it out for you. You throw this out. Not only do you, you no longer have like a spiritual, um, 
path, you know, like all those rules are thrown out, but your identity is gone. At least for me, it very much was. Um, I entirely lost who I was because I don't think I ever really knew. <laughs> um, they don't really give you space to know who you are. And uh, anyway, so essentially my whole life was this like blank page at this point. Did you, you also experience that? Yeah. 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 Everything, everything got crossed off and I started to kind of look at things, new things and try to rebuild something. Yeah. 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 So as I was, um, I don't know if I was ready to rebuild at that point. So once I left the church, I've got this big barren field, you know, um, I just wanted to experience life. Like that's what I wanted. I had experienced all these rules and these boundaries and these things that kept me small. And I wanted to break out of that and experience life in any form. So like I started with coffee. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to try this coffee thing. Um, and I had felt so oppressed by the church that I was just like, I got to go try all the things, you know, I'm going to go find out for myself. Um, what is good and what is bad. And I, uh, I did like, I went out and tried all sorts of things. And, um, <laughs> and so it was a wild journey, you know? And, and in that, at some point, um, my husband got into, uh, Buddhism and I was, I was also interested in that. And I think that's actually a very common thing for people who leave the LDS church is to look into Buddhism. There's some really beautiful beliefs there, but they didn't, they didn't like hit my soul, you know, like it was smart beliefs, like things that were useful to me for sure. But it was kind of like reading Brene Brown or something where it's like, oh, this is brilliant. This is going to help my life be better. But it's not a spiritual path for me. It doesn't, it doesn't fill that need for me. And so we did that for a little while. And then recently, um, my husband got into Qigong, which is sort of like Tai Chi, you know, energy stuff. And I was like, that's so cool for you. And I did some of it with him. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I get how this is cool. Um, but also does not fill that spiritual path for me. And I was um, kind of jealous. I felt like everyone else was finding what worked for them. <laughs> I had a friend who got into witchcraft and he offered, you know, to to let me be in this course with him on witchcraft. And then I got into witchcraft for a little while. I was like, oh yeah, this is, this isn't bad. Like people say it is, this is like women empowerment and stuff. And, uh, um, did that for a little while, but I just realized like I was, I was getting into these other spiritual things because of other people. Like it wasn't coming from inside of me. It wasn't the thing that resonated with me. Yeah, you're seeing the people that you care about venturing out and doing things. You want to be in those folks' space. So now you're trying some of those things too. You think what they're doing is interesting. And uh, and so you're giving these kinds of things in a, an attempt. And it just isn't filling you like it fills them. Right. Um, in this investigation, are you – so 
before we jump into like finding Jesus again, I, I have to kind of hit on it. I don't want to be, I don't want to be contentious in any way. Like I just want to kind of find out the root of all of these, these spiritual wrestles and theological wrestles. But is there any point where you're reading like uh, Bart Ehrman or your, or Risa Aslan or thinking about like the historical Jesus and what, what does that kind of research lead you to think about or, or to come to in terms of conclusions? No, I don't know who those people are. I threw Jesus out and I was just like, the only time I ever talked about Jesus was when I was like, Oh Lord, like, like Jesus Christ, fucking give me that spoon. Stop trying to take my stuff. You know, like just, <laughs> just mocking him or just like using it as profanity. Um, I didn't read anything really. I don't know who these people are that you mentioned. <laughs> gotcha. No, these are just, these are scholars or historians who venture into the space of the historical Jesus and try to help us make sense of the data on whether this was a historical figure, whether he actually existed, which most scholars, you know, agree with. They're exploring the historical Jesus, trying to decide whether this guy is, is there any evidence that this guy really was what the, what the text defines him as, as being half God and, you know, all of performing miracles and then, you know, being crucified and rising on the third day, or whether he's just this rebellious teacher who's uh, looked down upon by the larger society and then myths and legends and stories begin to kind of come out of that and and to stick somewhat creating a religion. And so I didn't know if you had wrestled kind of at any point with that that historicity of Jesus and and it's okay but you didn't it like it it's fine if that doesn't even doesn't even interest you. Um, but I wanted to at least get your thoughts on the historical Jesus conversation because I think it at least plays a part in having a conversation about you kind of refinding some spiritual path that involves him. Yeah. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, what's funny about it is that it never occurred to me that that matters. And here's why Jesus was like tapping me on the shoulder, right? He's like, Ooh, here's, I don't know for the last year or something things that he said have been popping into my mind. Songs have been popping into my mind, right? And so he's coming to me spiritually. And whatever that is, if it's real or not, doesn't matter. There's some force that was coming and like speaking to my soul. And as I went into Christianity, I also didn't care whether or not it was real. Because to me, that's, that's a side story. And in fact, in the beginning, I was like, it's not. It's definitely, Jesus is not real. Like, there's a archetype of Jesus. There's this energetic feeling of, like, love and light and inspiration that people can tap into. And we have just kind of named it Jesus, and it helps us, you know? And so really where I was at, the mental space where I was at was that I had tried all these other things. I had tried to find a spiritual path. My spiritual field was barren. You know, I was feeling lost and like I didn't have an anchor. And and then at the same time, like those those uh, videos of the UFOs started coming out. 
And Elon Musk is, like, talking about how we live in a matrix. And people are, like, suggesting maybe we're just, like, aliens, guinea pigs. Or, you know, science is showing that there's way more than we know about. Like, our brains can't even comprehend the way that this universe works. And so all these things are going through my mind. And I go, if the things that I've been believing aren't making me feel joy, they're not giving me the satisfaction. You know, like, I'm chasing enlightenment. I, I was chasing perfection. You know, there's all this, like, striving, striving, striving. I'm never finding the joy I want. I'm never finding the satisfaction I want. I have this empty spiritual field, and it's hurting me. And if I've considered that I could be just, like, an alien's guinea pig, if I've considered that I'm just, like, in a simulation, why couldn't I consider that Jesus could be real in some form, and if that brings me the joy that I want and need in this life, if that gives me the satisfaction, then who the hell cares <laughs> if it's real or not? Like, yeah. if you think about the psychological benefits of believing in Jesus, they're just like through the roof. It's better than anything else I've found. Yeah, I love that. And and you may think, I, you, I don't know how much you know about the things that I've um, created in terms of podcast content, but you might think, at least some people might think, that I have a disregard for Jesus. And I, I am an atheist, and I would call myself a mystic. And those two words may seem like um, a contradictory just, uh, juxtaposition, but they're not for me. And as I as I deconstructed Mormonism, I also deconstructed Jesus in my head. Again, I don't I don't have the right or I would try, I hope, to not have the arrogance to think that I know ultimate truth. But the the conclusion I arrived at inside my little brain is as I investigated the historical Jesus, I just deconstructed that and couldn't hold any kind of belief in that. But I'm leaving Mormonism, I'm doing all these podcasts, and I go back as I'm right at the tail end of deconstructing Mormonism, and uh, I dive back into the New Testament, and I try as best as I can to take my Mormon lens off and set it off to the side. And I'm reading the New Testament from, and I read, I read it in order. So I read it, you know, Mark is first in terms of historically when it was written, and then, you know, Matthew and Luke about the same time, and then John at the end. And I read each of them separate, trying to understand them kind of in their own timeline, written by their own, whoever their author is. And then I go through, you know, the rest of it, Acts and all the other stuff. And I also, like you, I fell in love uh, with the Jesus of the New Testament when I took that Mormon lens off. And so I began to think about Jesus in terms of what he what he's an example of in terms of human development, in terms of compassion and kindness, in terms of how he handled being asked tough questions on the spot. I think he's a superior model. Even as old as that story is, you can take it and put it in today and it's extremely relevant and gives us a superior model of human behavior, how to respond instead of react, how to um, sit with discomfort, how to think about changing your mind and to be willing to 
kind of go off in a different direction when everybody else is pointing in one in one place. And so I started a podcast called the Mythical Jesus Podcast, where I'm exploring Jesus as a non-believer in his godlike attributes, but just looking at him like here's this guy who taught these things and isn't this fascinating. And really enjoyed that. And I set that down for a while, but I hope at some point to pick that back up and run with it because I think there is deep value there. So as you're telling the story, like I can relate to this. Like I, you and I could sit down and we could open the New Testament and I would, I would love a dynamic conversation around this Jesus figure of the New Testament and, and think he's just profound at what he's giving the people on those pages. Um, you you discard him with your religion. You try all these other paths. You're exploring various things, but they're not filling you. Give me give me the f- and you say like he's tapping you on the shoulder, maybe little at little moments along the way. Tell us maybe like these first like what's the first inkling? What's the what are kind of things are happening in your life where you're feeling pulled to go back that direction? And I and I hear I know I'm rambling a bunch here. I, I hear you say like, hey, I discarded all this stuff. I deconstructed. I'm getting these little messages where something Jesus related, you know, is ta- Jesus is tapping on me on the shoulder and he's giving me things that that are kind of offering this spirituality that I, I can't get filled in any other way. Help us see what kind of things are happening early on to get you to reconsider going back into some religious space where Jesus is part of that theology. Yeah. So LDS hymns would come to mind. Those are the only hymns I knew. Um, just randomly, like spontaneously pop into my mind. The good ones, I need the bad ones. Um, and then like last fall, as I was trying to navigate the election for myself, you know, I was having some real struggles and just, I almost even just heard his voice going like, peace, I give unto you, my peace I be with you, you know? And um, I said that wrong, but you get the message. And uh, just little things like that where his words would come into my mind. And this isn't the Jesus that I knew. I don't feel like I'm going back to Jesus. I feel like I've found Jesus for the first time. And I think differences, this isn't religion. This is relationship. It's Jesus saying, Elise, I want a relationship with you. I want this to be a thing between me and you. And even now, I do go to this uh, little church group that meets in a home and reads the New Testament, but it's not about the group. It doesn't have a name. It's just a bunch of people who have this individual relationship with Jesus, and they want to be with other people who do too. And so it's really about relationship. How how do so meeting in a group like that? How do you keep it so loose that somebody doesn't say, "Hey, we got to have some boundaries." If Elise says this thing about Jesus, and we collectively say that's outside of a a boundary of what's permitted, like how do you how do you meet with other people 
who don't want to get lost in organized religion, who are meeting together to talk about the Christ of the New Testament without at some point somebody going like, hey, we have to have some kind of boundaries in what this looks like. How do you guys navigate that? Yeah, so they do have certain rules. And the rules are that uh, you don't talk about things outside of the New Testament. So we're reading the New Testament, and they're like, don't bring in other random stuff that you've read. We're talking about Jesus, what he said, and we're discussing what he said and what it means in our lives and how it's changed us. And that's it. And as far as, um, you know, I have to watch out for cults. And so even as I started getting into Christ to Christianity, I'm doing that in quotes because like it doesn't feel like what people mean when they say Christianity. But um, I, I, I'm watching these people. I'm like, could this be a cult? Am I just being pulled into a new cult? You're just and, in stage one, right? Like it's, it, it, you're <laughs> just, it's, this is the beginnings of a new group. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. It's not, there's one of the guys there. Um, he says, Christians are like fertilizer. If you get too many of them in one place, it like, I can't remember what he said, but it's like, no good. No, you have to spread it out. And so the way that they work is that they do these home churches together and then People just come and go, you know, like it works for you. It does. And then you go join a different group or so there's all this movement. So there's no space for one person to become the leader or for one person to go, okay, so this is our belief. You know, the beliefs are entirely around you and your relationship with Jesus and exactly what he said in the New Testament. Do you, and I want to get into asking you about some of your favorite things that Jesus is doing in the New Testament. So maybe start to think about that. What are your, what parables, what, what things Jesus taught, what kind of miracles or things that were going on, the way he talked to others or uh, interacted with them that kind of, that you kind of catch that spiritual glow with inside you. But I, I want to, you know, at least ask like, I think it becomes really normal for people who have been on a similar journey as you. And again, none of us really are on the same journey. It's completely different from person to person. And if I experienced what you experienced, it's the only way I could understand how you came to where you did and vice versa. It's the only way you could understand how I got to where I did was to experience things as I, as I experienced them. But I think people who have left Mormonism or who have left a high demand fundamentalist religion and deconstructed that, and then tossed out religion entirely as just one myth among a billion other myths that have been created since the beginning of time. It, I think people would want to push back a little bit against you and go like, you know, what, what if, you know, do we, do we consider maybe, and as you're pointing out too, I think it easily be mentioned again, you mentioned like, Hey, we humans right now are wrestling with whether there are aliens or not. We're wrestling with uh, lots of different ideas, such as the matrix, this idea of being in a simulation. Um, and I think that's a, a crazy concept that has merit to it. And so if those things can be considered in, in the absurdity of the idea of it, then why can't Jesus be taken seriously too? Um, for people who have left Mormonism or again, other high demand fundamentalist religions, 
I think they'd want to ask you, they'd want to go like, how did you, how did you not just throw it out? How did you not throw out the new Testament as just another myth story, like the Bhagavad Gita, like uh, the Quran, like uh, again, a, a billion other myth stories that have come before it. What, and, and again, you're going to obviously point to, cause you already are, it's your personal experience with Jesus, but what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I'm excited to talk about this, but I am a little bit concerned about our connection. Am I like poppy to you? Is my a little bit, but I'm I don't think it's hurting anything. I don't think it's serious enough. There's a little bit of a a crisp kind of noise in the background. Okay, because when I hear you talk, sorry, I'm trying to put this in. Um, it is kind of poppy. Would it be okay if I did a couple of things to try to make it better? By all means, and yeah, by all means, and maybe even if you want to try having it without the AirPods in or the, ear, the earbuds in and see if that, you know, I just was worried that I might pick up oh. me talking on your end, but we could try that too. So by all means, go ahead. Okay. Okay. Here's the other thing is my phone. I had it all charged and apparently this is taking up a lot of its stuff. So, um, it's deuces. Uh, let me try a couple of things. So it's plugged in now. Is that helping anything? Um, I, I don't hear any background noise, but I did I get like a little buzz like... for just a second. Okay. All right. Let's try the not doing the earbuds. Okay. How's that sound? That's worse. It's worse. Okay, good. Right now, it's not too bad. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait. Did you put them back in? Um, no, I'm I'm still just on my phone's audio. Okay, that right now it sounds pretty good. Or my. Oh, okay. Well, should we try it like this for a little bit? Let's try it. Let's do it. So you got your phone charging? Yeah, I've got it charging now. Okay. So, um, address that question of like, again, folks who have deconstructed, have deconstructed all of it, and they're going to want to kind of push back against you and try to understand kind of where you, why you didn't toss it all out as well. Why you didn't toss out the baby with the bathwater and, and why you felt, um, safe space and, an inclination to move back towards the Jesus of the new Testament. I think the most important thing to know here is that the LDS church does not know Jesus. That the Jesus of the LDS church is like the evil stepbrother of real Jesus. And so what I would tell these people, <laughs> um, is that they don't, they might not know Jesus at all. And also what I would tell them is, you don't need to. I'm not trying to convince anyone to go to Jesus, but I do think it's really important for ex-Mormons to understand that the Jesus of the New Testament would have put down the LDS church leaders if he was here. And that's what he did at his time. Right? You were asking earlier what some of my favorite things about Jesus in the New Testament are. And it just made me smile when you say that because I love it. 
Like, as I'm reading through Matthew, I'm just like, I love this man. He is so funny. He's bold. He's loving. He's just, like, chill as fuck. He's very, it's a very lighthearted human, or being, God, um, that is nothing like what I experienced in the LDS church. But one of the things that delights me the most about him is his interaction with the Pharisees. It is fantastic. And the Pharisees, <laughs> the Pharisees are like this perfect representation of Mormons or, or any really, um, what did you call it? Like a high demand religion, right? Yeah, which I was just going to say, it's the a high demand fundamentalist religion, but that's just the longer, uh, softer, you know, way of saying cult. <laughs> yeah, uh, but these religions that are all about the rules, right? That's the Pharisees were always getting on Jesus. You're breaking the rules, and he's like, "Fuck the rules! That's not what this is about. This is about grace." and love and forgiveness. This is about someone who, I don't know, we were talking about aliens earlier. Maybe that's all Jesus is. Maybe he's an alien and he looked at the humans and he was like, humans are stupid. You know, he wouldn't be mean probably, but you know, you look at humans and you're like, wow, we have done some amazing things for sure. But like emotionally and spiritually, you know, we struggle. We struggle with like jealousy and anger and and like unforgiveness of ourselves and other people. And so we're down here just like struggling and muddling through. And he looks down from his UFO and is like, these people need something. They need some help. I'm going to go make a splash. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to be like, look. I am here to heal you. And he just goes around just healing people, healing people. That's like almost exclusively what he did is just going and healing people. And I think that's because he wanted everyone to know that his message is that he's here to heal you. That's it. And so when he comes across these Pharisees and the Pharisees are like, oh, no, our God is a God that requires works. Our God is one that is like high it requires these high demands you know like he wants you to do these certain things and if you don't cut the bread the right way and if you pick wheat kernels on sunday you know like you're going to hell and um and jesus came and said like that's that's absurd that is not what spirituality is about that's not what i'm about and and so the LDS church really is like the perfect picture of the Pharisees. And if you want some good entertainment, even if you don't feel like you'll ever believe in Jesus or in the spirit of Jesus or in the archetype of Jesus, going through the New Testament again, reading it as if he's talking to the Mormons every time he talks to the Pharisees, it's highly amusing. No, totally agree. And uh, again, I... Even as a atheist, I find deep value in the Christ of the New Testament. Um, and I think it's interesting, too. You're noting this idea that Jesus, his way of doing things is profound, not only in his time,
But here we are in 2021, and Jesus seems to be more inclusive and wise and uh, operating from really healthy spaces inside of him in terms of how he responds to situations than we humans in 2021. It's like we haven't really come that far, and this this personage, this story, uh, this character in the story still poses a superior example of human behavior uh, regardless of what time period we are in. Yes. Yes, for sure. And uh, I think it's just so beautiful that he, he provides this rock, you know? What, what does, so do you ever see yourself going to a church again or, and maybe that would depend on what that church would look like. Or do you kind of see yourself just really focusing on a personal relationship with the Christ of the New Testament and and not really wanting to ever kind of be in the pews again? I think number one priority is the relationship that I have with Christ. That's always going to be, I guess, what you would say is my religion. You know, my worship is inside of me and my relationship with Christ. But these people that I've been worshiping with on Sunday have been such a gift to me because they are also connected to the source of love and light. And they've been giving me just support, love. They've prayed over me. They have given me really helpful advice in this hard time that I'm having. And um, I think it's a gift to have other people who who see Christ as their rock, you know, who have this personal relationship with what Christ is, which is love and light and life, you know? And, and so, yeah, I think I, I see myself always interacting with and having, you know, weekly, at least weekly interactions with other people who are connected to this source. But as far as sitting in a pew goes, even when you said that, I kind of like shivered, like, ooh, gross. <laughs> Um, and I don't know, I don't know if that will ever happen, but like I said, the important thing to me is that I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And, and I can, again, I'm, you know, I can relate to that deeply. Like if the, if the goal is for me to feel spiritual and to have a sense of direction, I can't think of a better place than the Christ of the New Testament. Um, let's talk for a moment about some of these things that happen. You know, you point out how he handled the Pharisees. It it become it became obvious to me. Like I was taught inside my faith system that Jesus was really upset with all the people who were sinning. And what I found when I set that lens down and I read the New Testament again for the first time with fresh eyes. What I discovered was that the only time Jesus really seemed to be harsh or stern was with the leaders of his religion. And he seemed to have some sense of compassion and understanding and inclusiveness with everyone else. And so you hit on that idea that he's always, you know, if, if Jesus is upset, it's with the leaders of his church. 
It's not with the everyday folks all around him. Other things maybe in the New Testament that kind of catch you. Like what are what are some of the other stories or ideas or things he's doing that uh, that you notice in the narrative that uh, have felt profound to you? Yeah, um, his parables are the best, or his little stories. So he tells the story of the master who's throwing this huge like wedding feast, and he says to his servants, "Go get." essentially like the special people, you know, like go get the leaders and the, you know, the religious leaders and all that and bring them to the feast. And his servants go out and the, these high up special people um, either kill the servants or send them away or just like totally blow him off. And so then the servants come back, the ones that were still alive. And he's like, just go out in the street. And bring everybody, like good and bad. He says that. Bring them all in. And uh, and that's <laughs> that's the new God that I know. You know, the one who goes, I don't care if they're good or bad. Bring them to the feast. And I relate so deeply with the story of um, the prodigal son. And this is really what got me with Jesus, is that I had been living my life according to my abilities to like think through things and make good decisions. You know, I thought I was making good choices, but relying on my own wisdom really wasn't working for me. You know, I believe that in a lot of ways things are stupid and I am one of those stupid humans and I do my best and I did my best. But I really looked back on the last five years and I was like, oh, my God, I was that kid who went out and spent the money and like slept with a harlot and and ended up eating with the pigs, you know, and and when I came back, not came back, but essentially, you know, he goes back home to his father. When I went back home to Jesus. He like threw his arms open wide and threw me a party. And and he didn't care at all what I had done. And these are feelings that were coming to me, right? Like I chose Jesus, I put him into my heart, and all of a sudden I got all of the satisfaction, love, wisdom, insight that I had been looking for and not not been able to find. And he didn't say you can have these things once you go to ward council and like they decide you're worthy of it or you can have these things after you haven't taken the sacrament for four weeks or you can have these things you know like there was no punishment first there was no like reparation for my sins all i had to do was go jesus i'm sorry will you live in my heart i want you here in my heart and it was just like this like party in my heart I felt I was walking down the street and I just felt this like fire inside of me of this light and love and satisfaction and Bill I'm not joking when I tell you that my whole life is crumbling around me like even saying like like trying to not tear up a little bit but like my my life has like the shit has hit the fan you know and uh and in the midst of all of that, 
anytime I have turned to Jesus, anytime I have, I've said, Lord, fill me with your light, like help me out here. I want you in my heart. It has been an immediate filling of my soul, wisdom, peace, and he has guided me through this really rough time. And I, so I love that parable of the prodigal son because it was just, it has just been a party. He's like, oh my God, I'm so glad you're back. This is wonderful, you know? And uh, it's a very different message than getting the LDS church. So not only was this, it was this wonderful thing, like, oh, I feel so loved and satisfied and like centered, but it was also like, oh my, and, and I was told that I had to work for this, you know? And so a little bit of anger came along with that too for the LDS church, because I was like, I was told I had to like, like give my sweat and blood to get this kind of love and acceptance and satisfaction. And I didn't, he just gave it to me. Yeah. There wasn't any trial period. The moment you turned yourself to that, there was a spiritually felt benefit that hasn't ceased that's been active in your life. And, and I can relate, like you're talking about Mormonism and it, it didn't fill you. And so you tried that. It didn't work. You set it down. You looked at Buddhism. It was impacting others. So you thought, I'll give this a try. And it was helpful to changing your life in terms of behavior, but it didn't fill you spiritually. You talked about uh, witchcraft and some of this energy stuff. And all of these different paths rang hollow to some degree. And this is the path, this Jesus of the New Testament, this is the path where you're finally feeling the thing that I think a lot of us are looking for. And, and so there's this idea that, you know, whether something's real or not, like you, like it would be easy to get into an argument or a debate or a disagreement about, your understanding of how the world works versus my understanding of, of how the world works versus any other human being out there. But really what it boils down to is what works. And if, if it's, if something, if somebody's doing a practice or someone is taking on a belief that is impacting their life in positive ways, it fills them. It fills these voids that all of us humans have. And it is operating in such a way as to help you to grow and develop and, and show up in the world in healthier, more profound, positive ways, then it, it is true. Like it, it doesn't matter whether someone else disagrees like, oh, that thing is not true in this way. It's true in some other way where it is real and it's impacting your life and it's, it's having you show up in the world in ways that you are liking and enjoying and getting something from. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's the, it's the fruits of it. It's like, <laughs> you know, you do LSD or mushrooms and you go, Whoa, all we are is atoms and we're all connected or, you know, your mind is blown and you're like, I don't even know if any of this is real. Well, what, come, what came out of that for me was, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I perceive as real or not. What matters is the 
fruits of what I do. And so when I accepted Jesus into my heart, the fruits of that (laughs) have been, I have this rock and this anchor. I have this model to look to who, um, who is the light and the life of the world. He is love, you know, and he wants this personal relationship with me, which means that I can be connected to love and light and life anytime I connect with Jesus. And whether or not that's psychological, I don't care. (laughs) Like, it doesn't matter to me at all because it's the fruit. And the fruit has been (laughs) joy and love and peace, and comfort, and centeredness, and, and connection. I, so when I told you the, my world's been crumbling around me, I, I've lost my friends who were my pillars, you know, they were huge pillars in my life, like friends of many years, deep intimate friends, I have lost them, and when I was, you know, speaking to Jesus about this, He was like, well, let me tell you what I want to give you instead. And it was connection. It was connection to a thousand other people. Not this dependence on a couple of individuals, but this like centeredness so that I could be the pillar in my life that holds me up. I don't need these other pillars. Now I am the pillar that holds me up. And I'm able to have this this connection with so many other people. Bill, you never would have had me on your podcast. In fact, I don't know the next time we would have talked had I not made that post on Facebook. Right. Yeah. The, <laughs> and the uh, things- it has just connected me with so deeply with so many people. It's been a gift. Yeah, the things that you talked about there, these these attributes that you're seeking and that this fills, those are the attributes that I'm seeking in my life too and pursuing them and sometimes feeling that and sometimes not. And hence, how can I, how can I criticize or uh, turn my nose up at this, this discovery of yours when it's filling you with the very things that I'm at times seeking and not finding and and so that like i i see the value there like whether whether i i come from this place of being skeptical about everything and i also have this deep validation for people when they find things that work that are different than the things i find that work and especially when they find things that seem to be working but whether i can accept it or not that seem to be working better than the things i'm i'm utilizing your path is where you're at now is going to be very different from the people who generally listen to this podcast. Most of these folks have left Mormonism and they've probably deconstructed Christianity as well. Um, and, and they're on other places, you know, you mentioned psychedelics, you, you mentioned Buddhism. Um, a lot of folks are going to be kind of off in those directions, but those directions weren't filling to you. They, they were empty. You, you got things from them that wasn't all bad. Um, and maybe it wasn't bad at all, but it it didn't fill you in the way that Christ does. And so I was simply trying to say, like, the path that you're on is one path among a billion paths that other humans are choosing to live out to find 
whatever it is they're searching for. And I think it's the same things you mentioned, this idea of connection and, and growth and uh, happiness, you know, peace. I think those are the things that we humans are seeking after. And mm-hmm. your path has given you that. And you've tried other paths. And so I have nothing but validation to offer you for the path that you're on. And, I, and I, I'm not over here in any way standing in judgment like, oh, that path, that's absurd. Rather, that path is working for you, maybe even better than my path is working for me. Hence, why the hell would I have anything to criticize about it? Um, your thoughts as you kind of maybe sense having left Mormonism and and moved to the Jesus of the New Testament and the friends or uh, acquaintances or community around you and their being on various paths may be different than yours. Yeah, I was actually so excited when you asked me to be on this podcast, partially for that reason, is that I am part of all of these ex-Mormon groups on Facebook. And... I have seen on occasion people will come in and say, well, why did we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Or, well, I decided to be Christian or, you know, like any, any little talk about God or Jesus is generally shut down hardcore. And I can, I can respect that. And I totally get it. Like I entirely get it. But if there's anyone listening to this podcast who has felt like, well, you know, I feel connected to Jesus, but all of the ex-Mormons around me are telling me that I'm stupid or like that that idea is stupid. It's not based in logic. It's not based in science, you know. Um, that's why I didn't go back to it for as long as I did or not back to it. But like that's why I ignored those little taps of Jesus for as long as I did because of science, you know. I'm like, I don't want to be a dumb person who believes in something that's not real. But here's the deal. You're a human. You're a dumb person who believes in things that aren't real. And it doesn't matter if that thing is Jesus or God or like that money's going to make you happy. I mean, uh, who was it? Was it David Foster Wallace who did that commencement speech called This is Water? Did you hear that? Yeah, I, I, I didn't hear it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So at one point he says, there's no such thing as atheists everybody worships something. And when he went off on like, you can worship um, power, you can worship your sexuality, you can worship, you know, money or, you know, financial or like uh, success in your career, you, you're going to be worshiping something no matter what. And the problem with worshiping things like power is that you never feel like you have enough you're always concerned someone's going to take it from you. The problem with worshiping intellect is that you feel like you never know enough. You can't figure out all the problems, you know? And so you're in this state of like frustration that you'll never know enough. You'll never be smart enough. You're worried that people think you're stupid. If you worship sexuality, like you're just never going to be satisfied. As you get older, you get all these wrinkles. You're just going to feel more and more sad and like you can't, None of those things will fill you, um, and but you worship them. And, you know, in this, uh, in this Christian group, they have this thing called the two kingdoms. And what it is, is they draw two circles, you know. And in the one circle, that's the world. That's the brokenness of the world, you know. You, like, imagine it's like a sphere, but it got thrown against the ground. You know, it's got all these cracks in it. It's broken. 
And in order to fix our brokenness, which we innately feel, we turn to these different forms of worship or we turn to these different things like power and money and sex and drugs, anything we think is going to fix that brokenness. And those things don't. Like we know. Right. Yeah. If you've read, um, I've been reading The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck. Oh my God. It's so good. But she mentions that she has counseled people who, um, there was this one guy, he called her and he had just made this 200 million or $200 billion deal, some crazy amount of money. And he calls her and he's like, why don't I feel happy? And we've heard those stories. We know it. We know money and sex and all of those things don't make us happy. Religion is one of those things too, that we try to use to fill the brokenness. I, I don't want anyone to walk away from this podcast thinking that I support religion. I hate religion. (laughs) It's just another way that as humans, we try to fill the holes. We try to feel like fill the brokenness. Um, So that's the first circle. That's the kingdom, you know, the kingdom of Satan. And when I, even when I say Satan or Jesus or any of those words, like half of the time, I think it's just psychological, right? Like Satan is just this energy of destruction and chaos and anger and like just yuck, you know? So that's the kingdom of Satan. Then they have the kingdom of God on the other side, which Christ is the path to, you know? And that's the kingdom of love. And so the idea is that we've been trying and trying and trying to solve our issues through our own wisdom, through our own like ideas of, oh, well, if I'm sexy enough or if I'm religious enough or if, you know, I just like do this or that or the other, then I will heal this brokenness. And the thing that I love about Jesus is he goes, no, just love me. That's it. Just put Jesus into your heart and then you get to feel that love and life and light. Yeah, all those things that we're seeking, you're sensing some, the pieces of you where those holes are being filled by that. And it it does, you know, I'm listening to you and I, I sense that the depth of that it's it, i can tell it's real for you and and so i i legitimize like invalidate that that's that's filling you in ways that maybe my path or others paths aren't or even if they are like you couldn't find it anywhere else this is where you found it and and really all that matters is that it operates that way in your life that's what makes it real yes so it's and- not worth debating it's not worth debating the historicity of it it's not worth debating exactly the the historical truthfulness of it it's it works hence it's real yes thank you exactly and one thing that i want everybody to know i i was gushing to a friend about this because it's been so beautiful in my life and she was like elise um like you're making it sound like that's the path and i don't want anyone here to think that i'm trying to tell you like bill I'm not saying this is the path, Bill, you should do this. I'm not saying that to anybody here. Um, I'm just sharing because I am amazed about what it did for me. I tried 
all of those things, you know, all of those things to try to heal my brokenness. And, and I even tried thinking, I am, I'm not broken, you know, but when I look back on the choices that I've made, you know, we're all broken. We were born into a broken world. We're born with broken DNA, right? Like I have mental illness in my family. We're born into a childhood that most of us were traumatized to some extent in our childhood. And, and so when I found this and I just accepted Jesus into my heart and immediately felt, yeah, I'm broken maybe, but it doesn't matter. Like I can still feel joy and satisfaction. That was amazing to me. And so the only reason I share is because it's beautiful and amazing to me. And and I want to give permission to people who feel that inside of themselves, who feel those little taps and those little inklings, and who go, well, I can't because of science, or I can't because the rest of the ex-Mormons don't do it, you know? For, for whatever reason that they believe that they can't follow their personal intuition and their integrity because Jesus, because they just can't believe Jesus is real, you know, I just want to give permission to people who feel inclined to that direction to go, fuck all those other guys, do what's right for you, you know, Jesus doesn't have to be real, he doesn't have to be make sense through science, you know, you don't have to intellectually prove it, if it works, then it works, if the fruits are good, who cares, <laughs> Yeah, and I see this with others that I deeply respect as well. And and some of these folks are, I think, are well known. Richard Rohr, for instance, is a uh, a Catholic monk who has written extensively, and it, it's obvious from reading him and listening to him talk in podcast interviews and other places that he is very much nuanced and deconstructed within his own faith. Like he wouldn't frame Catholicism the way Catholicism would frame Catholicism, but he sees it like this relationship with Jesus as being profound and Catholicism being the place in which he lives out that faith uh, in spite of not really being believing in Catholicism the way it would ask you to believe to belong. Um, John Shelby Spong or Jack Spong as he sometimes goes by same idea. He's a, uh, he's a priest uh, retired, I think at this point, but Jesus is deeply impactful to him and how he moves through the world. And, and yet most Christians would go like, that guy's not a believer. He's doing this on some other, some other track. And so I think when you say like, Hey, this is a valid path, whether it's for everyone or not, if you feel inclined, stop feeling shame, stop feeling that you're balking up against the the collective and hence you can't do it. Like, like go find what works and enjoy, enjoy the benefits that come from having a, a spiritual walk that is fulfilling and uh, is giving you the things that you're seeking for. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to summarize it. Um, what other thoughts do you have? Like, is, is there anything else that kind of stands out that we didn't kind of hit on or cover? Is there any, ideas, concepts, experiences that you had that we need to kind of lay out here so that, that your story has, um, your story is kind of has a wholeness to it as we're telling it. Um, good question. 
I think I think I do want to maybe point out I've probably said this throughout but when I first picked up Jesus I picked him up as a psychological tool and even just taking that into my mind and just going I'm going to pretend you know I'm going to pretend so that I can use this psychological tool um as I did that I started to see the fruits of it and it has given me so much joy like fun serendipitous things happen I just feel really deeply centered and connected and that's when I started realizing like this is this is the fruit of the Jesus idea and um at this point I think I believe that Jesus is real either as a spiritual energy or an alien or what I don't know but I don't need to know cuz as we've said it's like the fruit of even just pretending to believe in him has been really wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um how does your life look different with this with you being actively engaged in a connection as you said, relationship as you said? with the Christ of the New Testament, if, if I were to hang out with Elise for a week, how, how would I see that show up differently versus the Elise of a year ago or three years ago? That's a really great question. It's integrity. Jesus has given me this strength to go, everything I need is inside of me. And I like highly respect people who get that other places who just like innately know to trust themselves. Um, but I didn't. And Jesus has given me this sense of like, I have the answers inside of me. If I don't have them, I can ask Jesus. I don't need to yield to any other human. And I've had experiences since I, I picked up Jesus where my friend, this is why my friend group has somewhat, you know, imploded, um, where I've had friends who have gone, Elise, do this thing I want you to do. And for, and I've had the centeredness to go, oh, no, actually, I don't want to do that, and I'm not going to. And they did not like that. <laughs> and But it's beautiful. So, yeah, maybe I would tell you, no, I don't want to do this thing. But what what it's given me is, like, this core centeredness of like me knowing what I want and what I don't want and having the power to set those boundaries and to go, oh no, actually, I don't want to do that. Oh no, actually, you know, like, and I feel like Jesus even inspired me with this phrase that has been so helpful. Oh my God, Bill, doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or not. This phrase has helped me so much. It goes like this. I don't accept that blank. Okay, so let's say you say, Elise, you're an asshole. I don't accept that label. And maybe other people haven't been as like receptive to other to like people around them saying shit about them as I have. But that phrase, like, I don't accept that story that you're telling about me. I don't accept that shame that you're trying to put on me. Just that verbal, like, 
boundary has totally changed my life. And Jesus gave that to me. He was like, you don't have to listen to what these other people are saying about you. You don't have to agree with their ideas. You don't have to pretend to agree with their ideas, you know? Like, even when you were saying uh, earlier, I think you were saying something like to comfort me to make sure that I knew that you weren't speaking against me or something like that, you know? And um, which was very kind of you. I don't care though. (laughs) Like if we had gone on here and you'd been like, Elise, this is illogical. And these are the reasons why. And this is, and you're just being dumb, you know? I would have just used that phrase on you. Like, that's fine, Bill. But I don't accept that story. I know what story I accept. I know what things I believe in. And no matter how many people tell me that my experience is wrong, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me anymore. And it did so much before. Yeah. So much before. I can sense this strength of character that you now feel the courage to show up as your authentic self and that anyone who steps into that space and says something's wrong with you it seems like there's a recognition like i'm i'm showing up exactly the way the god or christ or the universe has set me up to show up right like this is mm-hmm. me i in all my in all my flaws and strengths this is this is the the creature that that was created and and i'm operating in the world and hence what right does anyone have to say that you're wrong in any way and someone else is right when you are exactly the way you're supposed to be. Yeah. Right. And I can't, I can't be gaslit anymore. Like I was so easy to gaslight before just so easy. Like, Oh, at least that never happened. I'm like, Oh, it didn't. I must've misremembered, you know, but I can't be gaslit anymore. It's like, I saw what I saw. I know what I know. I believe what I believe. If your experience is something different, that's totally fine. But I know what my experience is. And nothing anybody tells me is going to make me think that I'm misremembering or that I'm the one who doesn't have good logic or whatever, you know? Like, I I feel so grounded and centered in knowing that I deserve, just like everyone else, I deserve to express authentically and to believe in myself and to not have other people meddling in what's going on in my soul. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, what does the future look like? Like what, what, what are you going? I've asked you how it's impacting you in the here and now, how is it impacting how you see the future future, how you're going to, live out the fullest expression of yourself moving forward? I don't know. So much of my life is really in flux right now. And I would love to know how it's all going to shake down, but I don't. So the only thing that I really do see clearly in the future is just this continuation of integrity 
of daily connection with this source of love and light and continuing to just be authentic no matter what, you know? And my personal expression is very outward. I don't know if you've seen some of my Facebook posts, but I just express outwardly. And I think that in some ways I'm, I'm a disruptor, right? Like I'm sure half of my friends lost, maybe didn't lose sleep, but have just been like mind boggled that I have chosen Christianity. It's disruptive to them and their normal like worldview. And I think I'm just going to continue being somewhat of a disruptor. I think I used to see that as a bad thing. And now I just see that like, I am someone who will live openly and authentically and deal with the vulnerability that comes with that. And I'm willing to question people and to get them to go, like, maybe maybe there's a different way to see things. And I don't have any agenda there, but uh, I just love the idea of, like, creating a little bit of a stir so that everyone has more of an opportunity to really sink into their own integrity and know what they want. I, I think we've covered, it feels like we've covered all the territory and, and I'm sure there's things we'll get off the air here. And I'm sure somewhere along the, the, you know, the day as it progresses, you'll think of something that you wish you'd shared or whatnot. But I, I think we covered the territory and I'm, I'm just, I'm tickled. I'm tickled. Anytime somebody feels alive again, I'm tickled. Anytime someone finds uh, a resource or a way of living or a, a tool or um, that helps them to show up in the world more authentically. It's a, it's a principle I believe deeply in. And as I'm listening to you talk, I, I hear a person who finally feels free to be them and this has empowered them and it's, it's active in their life. Hence, again, it's real. And, and so I want to maybe just say, like, if, if there's anything else you can think of, like, let's add it in. But otherwise, like, I would join with you and say, if you're out there and you're like, it's not my thing and my brain works differently and I can't come to that conclusion again. I've tried that space and it, it doesn't work for me, but I honor that it works for you. And if there's listeners out there who have left a system and that system just they it just completely didn't add up and they set it aside there still may be things or ideas or concepts that were a layer away that you didn't need to necessarily throw out and and maybe the maybe Christ is seems to be as you point out at least tapping you on the shoulder giving you these inklings of hey I'm over here when you're interested I'm ready and I, and I would want people not to feel shame or judgment if that's the direction they feel called. Yes. And so I would want people to explore Christ. And, and if that works, then again, you don't need to feel shame or judgment. Go be your best self, no matter what the resource or tool is that gets you there. And for many, the Christ of the New Testament is it. And and we need not diminish anybody because they arrive at a belief or utilize something in their life that 
doesn't make sense to someone else. Yeah. You ask me um, where I see myself going from here, and I kind of rambled for a bit. But I want to answer that question again. And where I see myself going is this. I see myself going forward boldly, living authentically, having zero agenda for anyone else, but providing a safe space for people to just authentically be who they are. And as I've made those Facebook posts, people have privately messaged me. People from all sides, people, atheists, LDS, whatever, and have just said, thank you for having these conversations. And that's what I see in my future is to just continually have these conversations that help move people toward their integrity, no, no matter what that is. Amen. Amen. I, that's the conversation I want to have too. So thank you. Thank you so much for when you put that post out, you know, you said part of the part of earlier in the conversation, you said, Hey, I'm on here. And if something I say, like, I asked you to come on, I think this story is um, a big deal. I think that we ought to hold up all these paths that work, Christ included, and give people all the opportunities to find what works for them, that, that moves them into being a better, healthier, more whole version of their self. And, I th and when I say whole, like I think any time we get to show up as we are and not feel shame and feel like we're experiencing growth and in progress, whatever that means to each person, I think we ought to, as much as possible, as long as we're not infringing on someone else, we ought to make space for that. And so I love the conversation. And I just want to say thank you for, for giving me some of your time today. Yeah, this was so fun. I miss you, Bill. Yeah, same. We yeah. haven't done a ton, but I've always enjoyed um, being around you. And so if you're ever if you're ever in Southern Utah, like let's get together and let's let's hang out. Yeah, I would love that. Cool. I'd also love to be available to anyone who heard this. I'm kind of a community builder. So if anyone who heard this wants to chat with me, I would love to chat with you. I don't What's know. What's the best way to do that? What is the best way to do that? I don't want to give like my personal phone number to a bunch of random people, but uh, maybe just find me on Facebook. It's Elise Brown. Okay. I'll put your profile. If you don't mind, I'll put your profile on uh, the notes for the episode and people can reach out to you if this is, if that feels like something they're drawn to do. Yeah. That sounds great. Cool. Uh, cool. And I don't, I don't think we have anything else. So I, I think that nails it. And again, I just want to say thank you for your time. And um, these are the kind of conversations I want to have. I like you, I want to empower people to know that there are other ways to be human that lead to positive growth and opportunities to let go of shame and to be able to show up authentically uh, in their life. And, and you, I think today have displayed uh, a great, a great path that works for you and works for a whole host of others that we ought to at least put on the table with all the other, all the other paths that are out there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Have a great day and uh, let's catch up soon. Awesome. Thanks, Bill. Take it easy. We'll see ya. Bye-bye.